Hi, my name is Bonnie, and I'm a very grateful member of Al-Anon. And I will use my pre-Al-Anon voice uh, so you can all hear me. And I know you want to hear the truth now. You heard Sean, and now you want to hear the truth. A friend of mine used to say there are three sides to every story, his, hers, and the truth. And um, and my story, we were both in the same place, the same events, but my perception is totally different, I'll tell you. Um, I just want to thank you so much for asking us uh, to share. Can you all hear me? Yeah? Um, it is, uh, we have been so welcomed, you guys have made us feel so part of. And uh, that is just really special. Um, our hosts are fabulous. With it. Really, it's a great bed and breakfast. It's, they have everything. I love Al-Anon's are great. You know, we are the best. We are so terrific. You know, they've just got everything there for us, you know. So any alcoholics, I mean, if you have Al-Anon's in your life, you are lucky, lucky. Um, I also want to thank the conference for including Al-Anon. Um, it is a family disease, you know, and uh, you alcoholics were very generous in sharing the disease with us. Um, thank you so much for sharing the solution with us. It's really appreciated. Um, now, you're probably wondering... How does a little Polish girl from Cleveland, Ohio, end up marrying and end up being here with an Irish drunk living in Canada? And um, the answer is alcoholism. Real simple. Real simple. Um, I was, um, was born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. And um, so this, this trip here has been really great because it gave me another opportunity to visit my mom. Um, who is 93 and um, and still going strong. She's a strong, tough Polak. And um, and so it's been a real fringe benefit to do that. But, you know, I was, uh, so I was born in Cleveland here. My father owned a bar on the east side of town, a great place. He was the, you know, he was the alcoholic in my life. And um, and I I knew I hated Cleveland. And, you know, and I always say, if you came from Cleveland, you'd have my problems, too. And, um, and it really isn't Cleveland. It was really, it's alcoholism. My family is just riddled with alcoholism. You know, and I hear lots of Al-Anons will say, you know, I, I didn't know anything. You know, my, there was no alcoholism in my family. I had no idea what I was dealing with until I married this drunk, you know. And, um, and I can say I was born into alcoholism. My grandfather, my aunts and uncles, my father, I mean, I am, you know, cousins, I am surrounded by it. And I had no idea, and I married an alcoholic, you know. I left Cleveland and moved to New York and found a drunk of my very own. And, um, and I had no idea I was dealing with alcoholism until the day I walked into Al-Anon. It is a cunning and baffling disease. It really is. Um, so, now, the way I sort of dealt with, you know, God really takes care of us. I look back now, and uh, God was taking care of me. I had a number of resentments when I got to this program. I told you Cleveland was one of my resentments. Um, 
My mother was another resentment. Uh, my father was the alcoholic, but, you know, I had no, I really didn't have any resentments toward him. My resentment was toward the non-drinker. You know, my father got drunk, smashed up cars, went to jail. I sort of knew that's what he did. But what was her problem? You know? What was her problem? She was the maniac in my household, you know? Compared to my father, she was the nutcase, you know? Um and the Catholic Church, you know, I had lots of resentments of the Catholic Church. I say today I am a recovering Catholic, and uh, that's just my perspective. And another person reminded me of, oh, uh, there's another AA member, Sister B. I don't know if you've ever heard her talk, but she helped me tremendously. And um, she is a mother superior. I don't know. She's got, I don't know, quite a bit of sobriety. I and mean, she spoke from the podium, and it really helped me. And um, she said, I know a lot of you may have resentments toward the Catholic Church. But she said, one thing I've learned after all of my years as being a nun and being in, in Alcoholics Anonymous is there are assholes everywhere. <laughs> and, you know, that really helped me. She said, you know, there are assholes in the Catholic Church and there are assholes in the Lutheran Church and, and all different faiths. And she said, there are even assholes in AA. <laughs> and um, I don't know. That helped me. It helped me. Um, so I was this little Polish girl from Cleveland, and um, I learned all those things you learn in an alcoholic home. You know, uh, my mom and I used to stay on. I mean, I was uh, you know an Al-Anon in training is what I was. You know, we'd wait for my father to come home in the middle of the night, and the two of us would stand by the look out the window. You know, she was you know that that typical Al-Anon in the chenille robe plucking him away, and I would be right next to her waiting for my dad for that car to turn the corner. Is it going to come home? Is he going to be in one piece? Did he have an accident? How drunk is he? And, you know, we see the car turning and uh, into the driveway, and then we jump into bed and pretend everything is okay. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, you get up the next morning, and um, nothing's mentioned. You know, and I really say, for me, to this day, what's really affected by alcoholism is my perception. Did he really come home drunk last night? I don't know. Nobody mentions. Did I really see what I saw? You know? And it really continued for me uh, after I married Sean. I mean, uh, we got married and we lived in this house in the Hollywood Hills. It, it wasn't even on a street. It was on a trail. Uh, and Sean always said he never hit his drinking, just the house in which he drank in. <laughs> it was up near the Hollywood sign. It was on a trail. It looked adorable on the outside. It had no heat. It had no foundation. Very much like our marriage. We look cute on the outside. But, you know, it would just be the two of us in this house. And um, Sean would be drinking. And um, I would say, Sean, you drank that whole bottle of wine. And he would say, no, I didn't. (laughs) And I would think to myself, in my keen thinking, well, who did? Like, I know I didn't drink it. Where did it go? And I believed everything the alcoholic told me. So you take that belief in what they tell you and your warped sense of perception. And I was one sick cookie. I really was. I really was. And um, so anyway, back to my story. I, I knew I had to get out of Cleveland. My come from a real old world 
Polish Catholic family. And as Sean always says, he's Irish Catholic. There's a difference between Irish Catholic and Roman Catholic. Well, then there's Polish Catholic. And they're just grim. They just, they believe everything. So, anyway, I knew I had to get out of Cleveland. And um, my my mother had a nice little Polish boy all picked out for me up the street, you know. And uh, I knew I had to get out. And um, when I was a little kid, my mother had sent me to ballet school. And it was my salvation. It was my safe place. It was the way I really got through dealing with that alcoholic home. And I seemed to have a natural talent for it. And it was also my ticket out of Cleveland. So I told my mom and dad that I was going to New York to give my dancing career a try. And I told them I'm going for 30 days. And in my heart, I knew I was leaving forever. And so I packed up my bag, and they gave me 50 bucks, and off I went to New York. And I have to tell you, I've always been this scared little Polish girl from Cleveland is how I've always felt on the inside. But I got to New York, and I knew I was leaving my problems behind me. I was leaving them all back there in Cleveland. And I was scared and excited at the same time. And uh, whenever I would get really afraid, I'd call my mother on the phone, and she would give me a rundown on what my father was doing now. And my mother, she only talked in a shrill voice. To this day, that's how she still talks, in a shrill voice. And, you know, what he's doing now. And, and I knew no matter how scared I was, I couldn't go back. I just couldn't go back. And, um, and so I stayed in New York, and I got some jobs um, working in shows as a dancer and it was beyond my wildest dreams there I was living what I had always dreamed of doing and um, and so one day rehearsal in walked this tall charming Irishman and he was just adorable he was just adorable you know it's um, you know when an Al-Anon recognizes potential <laughs> He was good-looking. He was charming. Charming was really very important for me. Anybody I went out with, I look back now, and they had to be charming. And it really wasn't charm that I was attracted to. It was really neuroses is what it really is. <laughs> anyway, he was bright. He was the life of the party. Um, he was just unbelievable. And I just knew with a little work... With a little work from me, he would be perfect. He would be perfect basically to fix me and take away all my insecurities and my fears. Now, I didn't know that at the time, that's for sure. And so we got together. And um, and I would like to, my story is not overly dramatic. I mean, I didn't try to kill him. I thought about it, but I didn't actually do it. Um, but my life was just the day-to-day -day insanity of living with alcoholism of not knowing what the problem is, but I'm always trying to fix it. Always trying to fix it. And I, as I told you, I believed everything he told me. He told me if he only owned, being Irish, if he only owned a piece of the earth, he wouldn't have to drink. Everything would be fine. And so we bought this awful house in the Hollywood Hills. And then he used to say, you know, if he only owned a Mercedes, he wouldn't have to drink. And so we bought a Mercedes. Um, he loved old cars. He used to think it was a collector's car. It wasn't a collector's car. It was just an old Mercedes, you know. <laughs> and uh, and it never occurred to me that he should go to work. I don't know. <laughs> it was okay for me to have three jobs, but I don't know why he should go to work. 
Um, but he was the artiste. He was the bright one. He, it was he, heism is what we suffer from in Al-Anon. Heism. It was everything was for him. And I look back now, you know, we moved to, we were doing a show and we ended up in California. That's where the show ended. And that was the last time I ever danced. And, you know, I look back now and, um, I gave up something I loved and a career I had in a New York minute. I never gave it a moment of thought of what I would like to do, of what was right for me. It was whatever he wanted. And, um, yeah, never, I never really gave it any thought until years into Al-Anon where I really grieved what I had. Um, but I was a real good victim. I was really good at um, sacrificing for everybody, for everybody else. And, um, and so we got together and we got married. And as he said, he settled down. I settled down and he didn't. And that's when I noticed that he drank a lot. And that's when I tried to do everything I could so he wouldn't have to drink, you know. If And it was always sort of said to me, if I were somehow different, he always implied, if I were somehow different, he wouldn't have to drink. You know, if I were taller, prettier, brunette, a better cook, uh, made more money to keep him in the manner to which he would be accustomed, he wouldn't have to drink. And, and those of us who love alcoholics, I really felt it was something that I was not doing, that I just wasn't up to it enough, that I love our piece of literature called Understanding Ourselves, because it really is me, that I somehow didn't love him enough. I wasn't good enough, and that's why he drank. And... Um, so I was trying to fix this problem that was unfixable and not knowing what the problem was. And as I said, he never worked, so I worked. And now I had only been trained as a dancer. I couldn't do anything. So I uh, I went looking for any jobs I could get in those days, and uh, that was usually secretarial. And I couldn't type or take shorthand or do any of that sort of stuff. Uh, but I lied. I lied. And so if they didn't give me a test, they hired me, right? And um, so I was a... I was quite the employee, I'll tell you, because I was on the phone all the time checking up on Sean. Like, is he drinking? How much is he drinking? And if he's drinking a lot, what is he doing? And what kind of trouble is he getting me into now? Um, And my head was never at work. It was always with him. And um, I couldn't take shorthand, so I'd write scribble down. I'd bring it home, and Sean would pour himself a big glass of wine, and we'd try and rewrite the letters, and... Anyway, I got fired a lot. I got fired a lot, to say the least. And uh, every time that happened, I lost a little more of my self-worth, a little more of my dignity, humiliated myself a little more. And I would go back home and tell Sean what happened, and he would pull out the uh, L.A. Times want ads and look for other jobs for me to go on. (laughs) And that's the way it went. And that's the way it went. Ours was just the quiet insanity of day-to-day living with alcoholism. Um... We had eliminated basically everybody out of my... My mother really disowned me when I uh, told her I was going to marry Sean. And she took me aside and she said, you know, first of all, he was Irish, not good. Um, She said, you know, he's nothing but a drunk and a con artist. And, you know, because she said that, you know who I had to eliminate out of my life. I later found out she was right, you know. But um, anyway, so I eliminated them out of my life. And it was just the two of us. The two of us in this um, in this house, uh, just with his drinking buddies. I had no friends. I was terrified to go anywhere. 
Um, I didn't make any phone calls. Sean made all of my phone calls for me. I would tell him who to call, what to say. I'd stand there right there. I mean, talk about insanity. I was so terrified, and I think I was just, I was angry all the time. I think that was the only emotion I felt. Um, we were having quite a few arguments, and we had one argument one night. It was one of those nights where we had said horrendous things to each other, just horrendous. And I couldn't understand how we could just go to sleep. I didn't know about passing out at all, you know. And um, I was up all night, and he got up the next morning, and he was fine. And I really got scared then because I realized he had no idea what had happened the night before. I also didn't know about blackouts at all, you know. Um, I got sufficiently scared and really didn't do anything else about it, and we just continued on our insanity. And I really believe God intervened and um, sent me out of town. I was always helping everybody, you know. And uh, Sean got arrested that night. And I'm really grateful I wasn't there because I'd have made it okay somehow. I am, you know, queen enabler. I'm just, you know, it would have been somebody else's fault. It would have been circumstances, bad luck, something. But God really removed me. And, um, and so I came back a week later. And Sean had a week of sobriety. And he told me he joined AA. Well, now I tell you, I was not impressed. I was not impressed. Now I tell you, the only thing I knew about AA was what my mother said. You know, being here in Cleveland, when my dad really did something awful, she would threaten to send the double A man to him. <laughs> and uh, she did not say it endearingly, the double A man. And I thought, God, if we stoop so low as to go to the double A guys, you know. <laughs> and um, anyway, they told me, Sean told me that there was a place for me, and he was very glad to tell me that, Al-Anon. <laughs> and so I went to my first Al-Anon meeting. <coughs> Someone called me, basically, from Al-Anon and told me what I really needed to hear. She said, you can't keep him sober but you can help make sobriety a little easier. That's not written in any of our literature, but that's what I heard. And I, help, was my, that was my middle name, you know. I am the queen of help. And um, so I went to my first Al-Anon meeting, and like Sean, I felt absolutely safe for the very first time. I walked into a room full of people who knew exactly what I was feeling. I used to complain about Sean all the time to anybody who would listen. And everybody would say, well, why don't you, what are you there for? Like, leave, you know? Um, nobody said that to me in Al-Anon. They told me that it was okay to love an alcoholic, that I wasn't married to a man who was a monster or a crazy man or out to make my life miserable. I was just married to a man who had a disease. And I don't know, you know, I felt, I think, Exhaustion is the feeling I felt, but I think the feeling I, what it really was, was surrender for me. I had taken this load off of my shoulders that somehow I was the cause of it all, that I could cure it, that I could fix it. All of that was sort of taken off my shoulders. And, um, and I have been going to Al-Anon ever since, and I'm really grateful for that. Um, it is been the first year I've got to tell you the first year of sobriety I don't know if anybody is in new sobriety or even the first few years 
But the first year for me was as bad, if not worse, than last year was drinking. And I thought, who needs this, you know? Um, he was irritable, to say the least. He was not coming to me with all of his problems anymore. He was going to AA. Uh, and I was very threatened by it because I thought, if he doesn't need me, why would he stay? Why would he stay with me if I can't do for you? I had so little self-worth that I thought if I if someone doesn't need me, they would discard me. And um, so what I really found in Al-Anon was that it was about me. It wasn't about him. Uh, and that's been a long process over many years. I'd like to blame him for it. And it was easy to blame a drunk, you know. I could blame him for anything. Next to him, I'd look great, you know. Uh, but when he got sober, I didn't look so good, you know. I was still slamming cupboards and yelling and screaming and carrying on. I was the crazy person. I looked crazier than he did at that point. And had you looked at the two of us when we came to the program, you would have definitely said that I was the one with the problem. Sean, of course, drove up in his old Mercedes looking stiffy. He did. He was still working. And his, he always wore a blazer. It was like his suit of armor. And I arrived driving a beat-up Volkswagen that looked like a drunk's car. I didn't take care of myself, so it was like, it was 71, it was still, you know, the moo-moos, the schmatzas, as I call it. I used to wear this moo-moo. I wouldn't get my hair done because, you know, I had no money, right? So I used to wear babushkas all the time. And you didn't know I had dimples because there was nothing to smile about, let me tell you. I was mean. I was really mean. So, um... We should have before and after pictures, I think, in Illinois. <laughs> I tell you, I look totally different. Well, I'm a few years older, too. But I look totally different than when I came in. And I look, I am totally different on the outside. And the miracle of Al-Anon is I am totally different on the inside. And every day I hated who I was and how I acted. And I was sarcastic. And that was the way I communicated. And every day I would get up and say, I'm not going to be like this anymore. And a Cheerio would hit the floor, and I would be off and running into my old crazy self, you know. And um, Al-Anon has changed my insides. And it hasn't been, oh, it wasn't any big miraculous thing. It's just doing what we're taught to do here. And thank God, thank God people could love me before I could love myself. I just went to meetings, started working the steps, and just doing the best I could one day at a time. And I would hear words like compassion and serenity and think, oh, that'll never happen. If I can just have a few minutes when my stomach isn't churning, I'll be happy with that. And uh, when Sean was five years sober, I came home from one of my Al-Anon meetings, and he told me he had gotten arrested. Now, I thought, this is not supposed to happen in sobriety. Um and the miracle happened for me. He told me he got arrested. He told me what happened. And the miracle was I didn't have to say, what are you doing to me now? Why are you screwing up our life? I absolutely felt compassion, and it was a miracle, because I could look at him and say, I am so sorry that you have to hurt yourself so badly. And, you know, sometimes you don't know you've changed until something happens and you handle it in a totally different way. And you say, like, who was that? You're like, where do those words come from? That's not me, you know. And it was a real miracle. I absolutely felt compassion for him, that he was destroying his life. And the other miracle that happened 
is that, I don't know about you, but Sean would do something unacceptable and I would say, okay, this is it. Next time you do this, I'm out of here. I'm not putting up with this anymore. And, of course, there was always a next time, right? And the next time would happen, and I would move the bar again. You know, I kept moving the bar and be more and more of a doormat. And the miracle was this time, there was no moving the bar. I really, I did a lot of praying. I did a lot of writing. I talked it over with my sponsor if I really wanted to stay in this marriage. And... um I had a list of things I wanted him to change if I was going to stay. And my sponsor said, no, no, you can't do a whole list. You know, you've got to narrow it down to what's really important. And so I narrowed it down to fidelity and loyalty. And if he could maintain or promise that one day at a time, uh, I would be glad to continue this marriage one day at a time. And if not, if he was not willing to make that commitment, that I would have to leave. Because I loved him and I loved myself. And I'll tell you, that's a huge change. Because I tell you, when he got sober, my biggest fear is that he'd leave me. He'd get well and he'd leave, you know. And um, we both started getting well. And I had to let go of my marriage. I had to really believe that God was in charge of that. And it has been a journey. It has been a journey. And that first year of learning how to communicate with each other, um, I, we, I, there, my way of communicating was to sit down and tell Sean what he needed to do. That was my way of communicating. Like, shape up here. This is what I want, you know. And um, we had to start learning how to share feelings. And I remember one day he came, he was in the kitchen and he was swearing and using awful language. And, again, those words just came to me. And I looked up at him and I said, that language is unacceptable. Well, it was like talking. I had never spoken like that before. And I also used to talk in paragraphs. I don't know. This is a little trick I learned. <laughs> My husband never would. I would say, you never listen to me. You just never listen to what I'm saying. And in Al-Anon, I'll, I'll let everybody in on the secret. They told me to share in one sentence only. And I'll tell you, one sentence really makes the point. And you know what? He actually hurt. And if he doesn't hear the sentence, Say the sentence again, and um, it works. Because I don't know about you, but alcoholics are clever. They're very clever. No matter what I would talk to Sean about, he had a way of turning it around, and I was apologizing. It always was turned around that it was my fault. I don't know how that happens. And you know how it happens? The second sentence. That's how it happens. Never say the second sentence because I would say the first sentence and he would come back and say, but he'd go off on a tangent. And he'd get me off on that tangent and before you know it, we're talking the last 15 years and I'm all at fault. So try one sentence only. It really works. He has never spoken unacceptable language and swearing to me ever again. I don't know. It just worked. It was like a foreign language. You know, his behavior was unacceptable. And um, and so we learned how to start communicating with each other. And it was really scary. It was really scary. I really realized I was afraid of my husband. I was really afraid to tell him who I was and what I was feeling. And I thought, I don't, that's not the kind of marriage I want. 
And it wasn't just for my marriage. You know, Al-Anon, some people say Al-Anon is for relationships. You know what? It's really not for relationships. It's really for me. As I have started to change and I share differently, communicate differently with you, you then have to respond differently to me. And you know what? The relationship changes. It has to change. It'll either work or it won't work. But it will change. I don't have to go and work on the relationship and I just have to always work on me. And Alan and I is really working about working on me. Um, you know, I think the other thing is when we can start looking at each other's defects and have a little sense of humor about them. You know, especially if the alcoholic can have a little sense of humor about my defects. It really works. It really works. Because <laughs> um, I love to tell them what to do. You know, Al-Anons are really the most caring people. Sometimes our loving just is... It gets a little misdirected, is really what it is. But once we can rein it in into a healthy way, we are just really super, super people. I've really come to love our Al-Anon traits, you know. Um, it's been a journey about finding out who I am. And um, relationships have changed. And um, so we moved from L.A. up to Canada. And Sean was going to start a business up there. Now, I tell you, my worst fear when Sean was drinking is that they would deport me to Canada. Because I don't know about you, you know, whenever, whatever happened to him happened to me, too, you know. Like, if he was in a good mood, we were in a good mood. If he was in a bad mood, we were in a bad mood. So I thought, you know, if he got arrested and deported to Canada, they're going to deport me. So that was my worst fear. So now here I am <coughs> living in Canada, and uh, it's not so terrible. It's not so terrible at all, but I really believe God... God moved us up there, and it was to start a business with his brother and the family, and he had family up there, and had all these expectations, and, you know, after a while in the program, you sort of get all your ducks in a row, you know. Things sort of line up, and life gets good, and things change, and everything, you know, he acts better, and everything is a little better. There's always a duck that's sort of off, not working. I don't know. There's a kid problem, a money problem, a health problem. You know, and I remember sharing sharing that with another AA, Peggy Martin, who I just love, and um, from Nebraska. And I remember sh- sharing. You know, I thought now that we went to Canada, I'd have all my ducks in a row. You know, we've got a business and everything is good. And I remember sharing that because all the ducks sort of fell apart. And, and Peggy told me after I shared, she said, you know, Bonnie, I've got some news for you. They aren't your ducks. <laughs> and I'm still working on that. None of them are my ducks. They're all God's ducks. And learning to live life on life's terms is what life is, you know, what the program has really helped me do. Um, I've got to tell you about my mom. Because that's a really important part of my story. I've hated my mother. I absolutely hated my mother. I left Cleveland because of my mother. I never got along with her. As I told you, my resentments were all toward her. And um, when I got to, you know, working the steps, I, I knew I had to make amends to her. I never wanted a relationship with my mother. But I wanted to take care of my side of the street. So I could be at peace with it, right? And they started telling me that I should learn to be the best daughter that I can be for whatever that was that day. And so now my mother had disowned me and hadn't spoken to me for a number of years, and we got to this program. And so I started 
communicating with my mother. And so the very first thing I sent her, I got this very generic card. It really didn't say anything, just thinking of you. And I sent her a card. And I got my first card back from my mother, also a generic card, didn't say anything, and it was signed, Mrs. Jessie Lapka. <laughs> and, uh, and that's how we started our relationship. And um, over the years, I'd get another card, and it would, you know, say, Sincerely, Jessie. You know, I'd make a phone call to her, and, um, and she pushed my buttons all the time. All the time. She pushed my buttons. You know, my mother to this day is 93, and she has 93 years of anger under her skin. 93 years of living with practicing alcoholism. She's the only non-drinker in that whole group. And also I started getting a little bit of compassion. Not only are we taught compassion for alcoholics in Al-Anon, we're taught compassion for the non-drinker in our family. Those other Al-Anon, potential Al-Anons, that are suffering out there. And that was my mother. And I could look and say, there but for the grace of God. There but for the grace of God. And everything is a secret in my family. Absolutely everything is a secret. Um, I would occasionally come to visit her. And I'd get off the plane, and she would say, oh, you're wearing jeans. Um, what did you do to your hair? And I would think, what am I doing here, you know? She would say, well, you know, if you're coming for a week, why bother come at all? And I would think, shit, why bother come at all? <laughs> Who needs this? Who needs this? I don't want a relationship with her. But I was being the best daughter that I could be. And what I finally learned is that, just like me, I did not know how to, how to talk to anybody when I came to Al-Anon, nor did my mother. And I could really interpret what she was really saying. And what my mother was really saying is, Bonnie, I really miss you so much. You know, a week is just too short. I really wish you could stay longer. You know, she does not know how to say that. And, you know, I didn't know how to say that until I came into the doors of Al-Anon. And our relationship changed, not because she changed. It's because I changed. I became safe to be around um, I remember when I was pregnant, I, I'm the only child. There's nobody else. I'm, I have no brothers and sisters. And I thought my mother would just be thrilled. Like, you know, your mom should say, like, how are you feeling? How is the baby? Nothing. Nothing at all. She didn't even acknowledge I was pregnant. My feelings would be so hurt. But, you know, I would walk into an Al-Anon meeting, and everybody would come up to me and say, oh, Bonnie, how are you feeling? How is the baby? How are things going? Are you getting excited? And I realized that I was getting what I needed, not from where I wanted, but I was getting what I needed. And I can't keep going to the hardware store for milk. My mother, my mother is incapable of, she doesn't have it to give. She doesn't have it to give. And um, anyway, it was about um, 14 years, right before we moved to Canada, I sent my mother a card. It could be a little gushier saying, you know, love you, Mom, or, you know, not that you've been a great mother because you was a terrible mother. But um, she sent me a card, and it was to a wonderful daughter at the holidays, and it was signed, Love, Mom. And, you know, I guess the message I want to say is do not leave before your miracle happens. Now, I still didn't love my mother, but from where we had come from, this was huge.
this was huge. She came up to visit us in Canada, and um, she's a terrific grandmother. She was just terrific to my daughter. And I remember taking her to the airport, and um, she got on the plane. I was in the car, and it was the first time I actually cried and allowed my feelings because I really realized that I really loved my mother. I had no plans on loving my mom. That was not at all what I thought would ever happen. And today I have to tell you, my mom is my hero. She still is very hard to love. She is still full of anger, still full of secrets, still full of sarcasm. <clears throat> but you know, my mother went to work at 69 years of age after my father died, lied about her age. She worked until she was 91 at a restaurant. She shoveled the snow before she goes to work at 4 in the morning. She is self-supporting through her own contributions. She is unbelievable. She is unbelievable. She used to tell Sean's mother, because then when she started visiting us, we would take her to meetings. She told Sean's mother that she really needed Al-Anon. Yeah, that was... <laughs> they did not get along too well. <laughs> so... So today my mom is one of my heroes. And you know, I realized, I, I was sharing at podiums what a hero she is for me today. And I realized I never told her. And so one day I, I wrote her a long letter and just told her how proud I was of her. She's accomplished on her own. To rise up above alcoholism and these sisters who are so, well, there's now just one left. One just died. Two Two practicing alcoholics, I mean, nasty, mean drunks who were 90 and 89, and one just died. And to let you know about how sick it is, the one who just died, who was so mean, didn't talk to my mother for the last 15 years. And when she died, she didn't want a service. She didn't want a mass. She didn't want an announcement in the paper. She doesn't want to be buried next to her husband in Cleveland. She wants her ass spread in Canton or someplace. I mean, really sad. Did not speak to her daughter for the last 20 years of her life. Alcoholism. It is truly alcoholism, you know. And that's why I'm so grateful that we can break this chain, this crazy chain of alcoholism, hopefully with my daughter. So, um, anyway, my mom is pretty phenomenal. So I wrote her this letter. And I don't think ever anyone's ever given her a compliment. You don't get compliments in an alcoholic home. You sure get them here in Al-Anon, though. And um, anyway, so she got the letter, and I called her and asked her if she got it. And she said yes. That was very nice. She can't really communicate. She can't share her feelings. And, um, and again, there but for the grace of God go I. But let it begin with me. And, um, I don't know, I love this program. I think the journey has been, for me, after all these years, I think, I think I'm getting well because I really don't know what's right for anybody else. When I got here, I knew what was right for everybody. I knew how everybody should live their life, what they should do to straighten up. I knew it for a long time in Al-Anon, too. I could, you know, listen to your problems. If you'd only do da-da-da-da, you'd be fine. So, it's going next month, it'll be, um, 30 years, can you imagine? 30 years, and it's been just fabulous. It's been a fabulous journey for me. And I think what I've learned, I've come out from the other side now. Today, the biggest problem in my life is me. 
It's not my husband. It's not my family. It's not the Catholic Church. It's not. It's it's me and my attitudes. And really finding, developing. It's been a long time in developing this higher power. Um, but there's a wonderful quote that for me, I, it was in one of our pieces of the literature, and I just it really strikes home for me today. And it said, most of the shadows in this life are caused by standing in one's own sunshine. And for me, I have been trying to get out of God's way, to really trust that he has given us everything we need to live happy, joyous, fulfilling lives, that I am truly talented. I used, I'm so good at demeaning myself and playing small, and I don't want to do that anymore. We are all unique and special. We all have a place in this world. And I have incredible talents that I need to allow to come out. I'm the one that's been suppressing them. It's been filled with all this junk, all my fears, all my insecurities, blaming the alcoholic. And I could, listen, I could, I blamed him for a long time, even into the program. You know, if only he would shape up, I would be fine. And, um, so it is getting out of my own way, living in the moment, to really be happy and joyous. And, um, to make every moment count. You know, I was told when I was new to be where your hands are. And, um, God, that's taken a hard time. Because I don't know about you, I've got these committees in my head. I still have committees, you know. I, they don't always go into recess very often. But they can get up there and start talking. And uh, I've got to stop. I've got to stop and get in touch with a higher power who is not out there and up there, but inside of me. And Al-Anon has given me that gift. And today I like who I am. Today I approve of who I am. Today I think I'm pretty terrific. I'm not as perfect as I thought I was when I got here or as awful as I thought I was. Today I truly can be equal. I always used to feel better than or less than. You know, I was so good at beating myself up. I was so good at always waiting for the shoe to drop, always waiting for some horrendous thing to happen. And today, I try and wake up every day I drive to work and I ask God for my bag of miracles because they are there. I have just not been open to them. I'm the one that's just been shutting God out. And so I pass it on to you. Don't leave before your miracles. God has a bag of them there for you every day, every day. And I am so grateful you are here because we've gone through, as Sean said, if you'll be in this program long enough, um, you're gonna life happens. You're gonna have money problems, kid problems, aging parent problems. Life happens. Life happens. And thank God we have each other. We don't have to do it alone. Oh, thank God we don't have to do it alone. You know, um, the past few years we've had some financial problems and health problems, and I've needed Al-Anon as much in the past few years as I did when I was new. And so there are the old-timers who are sitting in meetings with problems that um, life happens. So I just love you all. I am so thrilled to be here. It's so great to be back in Ohio, my home. It feels it's still home. I still feel, you know, I'm still in Canada. It's still not home, though. Um, But I love Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon. We are so blessed. Um, And every day we have a choice to live joyous, and happy, and with the fellowship. And uh, so just don't leave before your miracle, and thank you for asking me.